This is the Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Catch Stan every weekday at 2 on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. Bob on Facebook says, the offer of the Steelers was a very good one. Bell was just too greedy. I think Bell's biggest issue was that he wanted to be a crusader. I mean, the money was going to be substantial no matter what he did. And I call it a mistake. He probably doesn't think so. But as I've said many, many times, he was trying to change the salary structure of the NFL. He was trying to change the way the NFL's management thinks about salaries and structure and value to certain players who are multiple threats like he was. It would be insane to call Le'Veon Bell a martyr when he could have earned $14.5 million a year. That's a pretty good safety net. I don't know how else the Steelers could have dealt differently with him. Again, everybody was operating within the parameters of the CBA and the rules. Bell did what he did, was allowed. Steelers did what they did, that was allowed. I read a couple articles online about this circumstance and situation where some people felt that one of the accommodations the Steelers could have made, A, they could have actually paid him more than the eight fifty five weekly that he was guaranteed, or that in the initial contract offer, they could have offered him more guaranteed money Allegedly, they offered him $70 million over five years. But the real question is not how much they offered him, but how much was guaranteed. I think that was the real sticking point in the Todd Gurley contract. Or that they could have used the roster exemption if he'd shown up. And apparently one of the points of contention was would the Steelers put him on the roster exemption list for two weeks, which means he didn't get a dime. He wanted to be paid for just being on sort of a practice squad, if you will. I suppose they could have made that accommodation. But that doesn't mean they did anything wrong. The offer itself was fair market value. The offer came before Todd Gurley got what he got. And who knows, when these things leak out, maybe that's what Gurley based his contract on. On. There's a contradictory element to all this. I remember, and this, of course, is before salary cap and free agency and all those kinds of things, but I remember Art Rooney Sr., the chief, telling me, he said, you can never pay a great player too much. You have him, you pay him. Again, that's before salary cap. But I also remember having a conversation with Dan Rooney once the salary cap was invoked, and he said, it's not just how much you want to pay one player, it's the effect that it has on the rest of the players you have to pay. In other words, if you overpay for one guy and you've got a salary cap to deal with, then it affects what you can pay other people. 
and it also affects the locker room. If I'm a valuable player at one position and you pay this guy, say, what What am I, chop liver? Now, again, if you've got a great player, you're going to have to pay him to keep him around. But you also got to consider the ripple effect it has in the locker room. I don't know, and some have suggested the Steelers could have handled it differently. My friend and colleague Mike DeCourcy mentioned in an article for the Sporting News said the Steelers' only mistake was believing Bell when he said, I want to be a Steeler for life. I, I don't know how much that played into it. I mean, the Steelers did have options when he didn't show up the first week against Cleveland. They could have rescinded the tag. But why would you do that? You're cutting off your nose to spite your face. Yeah, you're free for the $14.5 million, but can you really spend that much once the season's begun? What trades are out there? What free agents are out there? Now, in the offseason, that's a different story, although that's generally not their M.O. to begin with. And really, the fact that he wasn't there and the fact that Connor was playing well, even though they weren't winning early on, it really didn't hurt them. So whether they believed Le'Veon Bell or not, it really didn't have an effect on the way things were working out. Yeah, the Steelers could have made their initial offer bigger. But remember, they made him a very competitive offer offer a year and a half ago, which they thought he had agreed to and then turned down. And then he played on the franchise tag for 12 and a half. By the way, over the two-year period, he would have, if he'd have played this year under the tag, he still would have cost himself $3 million by not agreeing to the contract they offered him in 17. So if you'd like to, you can add on the $3 million to the 14 dollars he left on the table there. There's an old adage, which is true. It takes two to make a deal. And this isn't a matter about the Steelers being tough negotiators. They are. Maybe they're tougher than other people. But when you offer a running back... More than twice what any other, this is before Gurley, before any other running back is making, then that has to be considered fair market value. And Bell chose not to take it. I don't know, other than offering more money, which would then mean overpaying Le'Veon Bell, where the Steelers are culpable. The door was always open. I honestly don't think it was a distraction after the first week of the season. I do think that when he didn't show up on Labor Day, like he said he would, or his agent did anyway, that he would do exactly the same thing as he did last year. When he didn't show up, I think it was a distraction. Whether that not that had anything to do with the tie in Cleveland, I, I don't think so. I mean, after all, they were up 21-7. to So how much of a distraction could it have been? But I do think 
now, and that's all that matters now, where they're going from here. The only circuit, I still think that they would be a better team with Le'Veon Bell in a certain role than they are without him, but that doesn't mean that they can't win without Bell. And I think from a player's perspective, if I have any sense of what's going on in that locker room, I think that the first week or two, they were A, offended and felt betrayed because Bell told some of them he would be there, and he wasn't. And I think they also had some severe doubts whether or not they could win a Super Bowl, which was their ultimate goal, without Le'Veon Bell. But as they say, the proof is in the pudding. And as time went on, the way Connor's playing, the way, they, the way they're playing, I think they began to believe, yeah, we, you know, we'd like to have him, but we can win without him. I don't think they thought that. On September the 7th, I do think, here in early November, mid-November now, that they do. They believe it. Nice to have you. See you around. Don't let the locker room door hit you in the ass. Eric puts on Facebook, it's simple mathematics. Connor's numbers are higher. His paychecks are lower. And they can use the money next year. Again, with them in free agency, you know, they're not going after any $12 million free agent, I don't think. If it were a cornerback, it might be worth it. JW says the Steelers made a few fair offers to Bell. They were not record-breaking offers, but they were fair. It's a shame it's ending with, uh, with him the way it did, but Connor has been and will continue to be a beast. I think that's the part Bell didn't account for. Connor coming in and being as good as Bell. I still maintain the biggest issue was, and what changed things, the Des Bryant injury may have affected, because I there's no other reason why he came to Pittsburgh. Not to pick up his stuff, he could have picked up his stuff. Hey, as much money as he's got, he could have left his stuff here. But I really think that he and his agent fully didn't understand, or didn't fully understand, the rules of franchise tag. I didn't. When he realized he could be a free agent, whether he showed up or not, why show up? Other than, A, the $6 million, and B, a chance to win a Super Bowl. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Stan and Guy, hey, love the show, dude. That's absolutely right. It's Stan and Guy back together again. Here's Stan Saverin and Guy Junker. The shotgun snap, pump, steps up in the pocket. Pocket collapses, the ball comes out, and Jacksonville picks it up on a dead run. Running with the football is Talvin Smith. 20, 15, 10, and that apparently is a touchdown. And now we got a marker thrown, but they do signal touchdown. From front to back, they're really good. I'm really fast. Uh, you know, a lot of teams we say, uh, you know, it starts up front, you know, with their pass rush. And, and this group has a, an unbelievable pass rush with their front four. Their linebackers are some of the fastest you'll ever play against. And their secondary is as good as the secondary you're going to play. So there's really nowhere to start and, uh, and finish with this group. They're just that good. So, uh, like I said, this will definitely be the biggest challenge for us. Well, it makes you wonder what's happened to Jacksonville. Um, it's not the same team. They're certainly not playing as well. Uh, even the defense, which should have been the same, has not been. We understand Leonard Fournette uh, hasn't been around, although he's back now. Um, Blake Bortles is Blake Bortles. But what about the defense? It's Stan Guy time. Stan Guy brought to you by Shenderovich, Shenderovich, and Fishman. They got your backs, not your wallet. Hello, sir. 
Hello, Stanley. How are you? I'm peachy. Good. Um, this Jacksonville game, I'm I'm getting the heebie-jeebies. Me too. Um, and I, I I I cited some stats yesterday. Each team's last five games, right? Steelers five and zero. Jacksonville's lost five. The point differential, the yardage differential, and it just it's really wide disparity. Um, and it makes you wonder what's going on with Jacksonville. But I just streaks are dangerous to me in the NFL. You know, just you know, five game That's, streaks either way just seems like something's due to happen here. Yeah, I mean, it 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 seems like a sucker bet. It seems like a trap game, and whatever you want, you've had a uh, you know an emotional win over Baltimore, and then a huge, way too easy Thursday night win against one of the NFC's better teams. I'm not saying they're going to lose, but I'm a little more worried about it than. On the, the the slam dunk that it looks like on paper. One of the big things that's different this year, they're, they're minus 11 in the turnover takeaway department. The two games they beat the Steelers last year, forget about total turnover takeaways, that they scored three touchdowns on them. Not as a result of the turnover, but on the turnover. And they haven't been doing that. Fournette got his first touchdown of the year. He's been banged up. They've had more than their share of injuries, too. They're, uh, it seems like they're a little healthier than they have been for much of the year. Well, they lost their starting center. Um, they lost two linemen in that two game. Two linemen, yeah. right? So that you know that can be a factor. Although you know Fournette, he's just coming back, but he only gained fifty-three yards on twenty-four carries against not a great Indianapolis defense. Uh, the thing that struck me about them is that in the last five games, again using that five-game stretch where the Steelers are five and zero, oh, they are a plus fifteen in sacks, sacks versus sacks allowed. We know how great the offensive line has been. Jacksonville, which makes a living on sacks and defense, is a minus seven, which tells you they're not getting many, and they're giving you know a, a bunch up. Uh, something's going on there, and it makes you wonder, um, you know, about teams like that. You know, some teams like the Steelers and obviously the Patriots, and they sustain that success. But there always seems to be, you know, it wasn't that long ago. You can make the argument Oakland's the worst team in the NFL. It wasn't that long ago they were twelve and four. Yeah, but they were a, you know they were a one hit wonder, and I'm beginning to wonder if Jacksonville isn't the same thing. Uh, the quarterback is limited, and in his defense, to a degree, they have no wide receivers that make you sweat. Now I say that some guy will run 90 yards on a bomb, but I mean you know it just seems to me that you know maybe last year was a fluke. It wasn't a fluke the way they beat the Steelers, but maybe they were a fluke. Yeah, well I think. Part of the the playoff game in particular, I think they they beat them in the regular season. I mean, they beat them and they beat them soundly. The playoff game was a little fluky, I thought, with some of the way you know uh, the turnovers and such. But I think the thing that, that even though we both have, as you called it, the heebie-jeebies about this, the difference, the vibe that, that I got. The little rascals, by the way, the, the heebie-jeebies. I don't know the he-man woman haters club. I don't know they had the heebie-jeebies, <laughs> and I married a Darla, so there you yeah. go. <laughs> um, I think that. Uh, the, I think the Steelers' attention is the fact that they beat them twice. Left, they're not going to go out and give them any bulletin board material, but I think they're really psyched to play this game because they knocked them out last year. They don't. They thought for sure going into the the, the playoff game that the regular season was a fluke and they were going to beat them. And yet all the crap, Tomlin talking to Dungy about New England second chance, Mike Mitchell being a moron and screaming outside their locker room, giving them any extra incentive as if they needed any. But I think. I think quietly this one's boiling to be a big one for the Steelers, even though they won't necessarily. I talked to Anthony Ciccolo yesterday, and I said, "It 
you want to get up every week as a professional athlete to do your job. I understand that. But, it, but it's humanly impossible. None of us go to work every day with the same enthusiasm. I, you know, oh, except you, me. Well, you're one of the few people I know that rarely <laughs> in the time that I've worked with you do you ever mail it in. There's days, there's 92-degree days in the summer where I'm like, I can't <laughs> yeah. wait to get out of here and go golf. Um I, I don't see it, but but and he he admitted that he said there's no need for extra motivation this week. He was one of the few guys that really addressed it and said you, you don't have to you know come up with a Heinz Ward. Nobody gave us a chance a mantra this week because they're they're still a burr under their saddle from last year. I also think that the extra time will help them. Uh, you know, normally yeah. uh, you know if like you're playing poker, if you're winning, you you don't want you can't wait for the next hand to be dealt. Uh, and, of course, they're in a five-game winning streak. But, again, just the physical aspect and the mental aspect of them. Uh, had they played on Sunday, um, the Jacksonville game would have kind of jumped up. But they got a nice respite from that. I do think it comes at a good time, even though their bye was just a short uh, period of time ago. And, uh, you know, Jacksonville, it's it's the same old thing. If you're, you know, winning, hey, let's play the next one. If you're losing, uh, oh, no, we have to play again this week. Not right. that they'll take that attitude. And I, I think and I think when you have a lopsided win like you did where everything went right, your quarterback rating is perfect, it makes for, I think it's easier to relax, Dan, with the time off that they had. Um, when you, know, you lose, yeah. You're sitting there worrying about things or agonizing over the previous loss and what you got to do better. I think you can truly relax. You're on a five-game winning streak, and you just won a game in which you pulverized. You set a, a home record for points. Um, I think that makes it easier. The, 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 the time away would even be more beneficial than usual. I agree. I also think, you know, we look at the Steelers' defense, and the, in particular the two games against Jacksonville, uh, and 75 points is 75 points. But, as you mentioned, the offense contributed mightily to the Steel- uh, defense, excuse me, offense contributed mightily to the Steelers' demise. Uh, not only did they give up 21 points directly, two pick sixes in the regular season game, and the strip sack and fumble return, they also set them up for a field goal, which the defense held them to three points. But the point is that they happened early and set the tone for the entire game. So while the Steeler defense had issues, and by the way, the regular season game was before Ryan Shazier got hurt, uh, while the defense was poor last year. I think in those two games in particular, the offense shares, even though they scored 42 points, they deserve a uh, lion's share of the blame for what happened. Yeah, I mean, when you fall behind early and you get out of your game plan, you got to throw more than you want to. Uh, absolutely. And and the offense gave up points in both of those games. I think three total touchdowns, right? Two, two, two in, the in the regular season. And, and a the, fumble recovery return for one in the we, playoff game. We just game. play that. I, I think that... Uh, the other thing is, in terms of importance, if you want to look, and now they pass the Patriots at least. I mean, things are setting up really nice. The playoffs started today, they have a bye. But if you look at the two, the Patriots' schedule is a cakewalk the rest of the way. That they got the Jets a twice. They got the Bills once at home. They got Miami. I think they play two teams that have a winning record the rest of the way. The Steelers' schedule is tough, and on paper, you got you got two road games here. Denver's not an easy place to go and win regardless. 
Jacksonville's always kind of been a little bit of a thorn in the Steelers' side going back even 10, 15 years, you know, with their cutback running and everything else. Well, that's you, why you this gotta, week— you got to win these two games. Absolutely. When you got to play New Orleans and New England and the Chargers still coming up, you can't let either of these games slip away if you want to beat out the Patriots for home field advantage. I mean, well, at, at this point, you know, uh, even Kansas City, everything played out beautifully for them last week because the Bengals— lost and got tortured and you know they've been so desperate they've hired Hugh Jackson now as the assistant to the head coach. You could argue that their two best Sundays this year were the two that they didn't play. Exactly. The entire division yeah. lost during their bye and then last week the Patriots and Bengals lost while they played and had already won Thursday night. And let's consider this. Let's consider also that Kansas City has to go and play the Rams this week. Now, I realize the Steelers lost to them, but if Kansas City were to lose to the Rams now, they've got two losses. Yeah. And the tie comes into play, but and Kansas City's schedule's not as difficult, but they still have to play a game at Sandy, pardon me, at the Chargers. They still got to deal, you know, with them. The rest of their schedule isn't that tough, but they do have the Rams. Um, but again, that's presuming the Steelers would... You know, I think they're going to lose a couple more games. Oh, I do too. And you know, but you know, that's fine. You finish eleven four and one. I, I still think that'll be good enough to get them a buy at eleven four and one. Yeah. Uh, I just I think the Patriots have three built-in automatic wins. That well, the Steelers got to beat that. You're well, counting on I'm, them beating I'm, I'm them. A, under that scenario. I'm assuming the Steelers would beat New England. And I mean, you never know what can happen in any given week. But the only other game that re- really uh, on the New England schedule looks modestly challenging as the Vikings. You got to hit, I mean, Brady got sacked three times last week. That's not a ton, but it's the first time this year he's been sacked three times. That No quarterback likes to get hit, but no one expects to have a cleaner uniform at the end of the game than him. I think it rattles him more than it does some other guys who are used to getting hit more. Well, it wasn't only the sacks. It's the amount of times he got hit. It's the amount the of times you moved him off the yeah. spot. Now, again, Gronk didn't play. Right. But then again. And they lost Edelman during the game. They lost Edelman during the game. But again, they won a Super Bowl without Gronkowski. So, uh, you know, they, they have ways to compensate. Uh, again, we're, we're getting way far ahead. The New England game is a long way away. The playoffs are a long way away. But I really felt this last year, that the Patriots were vulnerable. I understand that they went to the Super Bowl, lost a tight game. But I thought, and I said, had a bet on it, as a matter of fact, with someone, um, that if the Steelers played the Patriots, even in Foxborough, I thought they would win. I think the Patriots are even more vulnerable this year. Now, we always seem to say that, but, I mean, I, I do believe it. Well, and the division they play in is god-awful. Well, you it's, talk it's about, a it joke. is, and it has been for a long time. You, you talk about tight games. That's one thing. The, the other thing about this game bothering both of us, Jacksonville's lost three games by six points or less. Let's just say they win those three. You, I mean, that's the kind. That's the difference in a playoff season and a non-playoff season. Some years stuff goes right. With the Steelers, really a thirteen and three team last year, they had a lot of things go right late in games. Boswell wasn't missing kicks last year. It's, it's you know not the quote Bill Cower ad nauseum. It is such a fine line, and that, that's why I still fear Jack. You look on paper, they they, they very easily could be over five hundred right now. They could uh, one. I put one little pin in that balloon for this reason. That's the way Jacksonville has to play to have a chance to win. Their game's chances are are going to be tight because of the defense that they're expected to play and because their offense, they don't take a whole lot of chances because they don't have the personnel to do so. 
So, again, I, mean, I think the stat's revealing, but I also think there's a reason why they're in so many tight games. It's the style that they play. It's Doug Marone's style, and it's the way they have to play if they have a chance to win. Well, they gave up 40 on the road against the Cowboys, and they gave up 30 on the road against the Chiefs. They've been much better defensively at home, even against a team like the Eagles. They only lost by six. The Texans are a pretty good team. They lost that game at home 20-7, to so they are tougher in Jacksonville than they have been on the road. On the road, they've given up uh, teams that score at will on them. All right, let's get to the phone lines. Rick joins us. Hey, I, this is a, maybe a little bit long question, but I know that Spears off from 14.5, Le'Veon Bell. Now, he asked for obviously more than that. Did he ask for can, – can, is, is the franchise tag negotiable? But if he said, could he have said, I want $16 million for one year as a franchise tag player, and the Steelers say okay, or is it 14 5 and that's set by somebody other than the Steelers or Le'Veon? No, the, the Steelers could have agreed to pay him more. Um, they could have agreed to, you know, up the ante, if you will, above the tag. Um, they weren't about to do that uh, because, yeah. I mean,. The real killer, I don't think, was the total money anyway. Guaranteed it was money. the guaranteed money. He wanted more. Yeah. Uh, I think he okay. would have. I think the fourteen and a half would have been enough if more of it would have been guaranteed. Well, when you look, okay. they offered him. They offered him, in essence, the same thing. They offered him seventy million for five years. Um, the question, well, I think, it was reported. We don't know. We'll never know that thirty-two was guaranteed. Um, the money that Todd Gurley got. From a sal- uh, per year salary was about the same, but a lot more guaranteed. Twenty one million, I think, was the total guarantee of the whole package, something like that. Something well, it was more than that. It was more than that because the Steelers offered him, I believe, thirty two of the seventy guaranteed. So Gurley, I think, got more of a guarantee. I think that was that was the real issue with him. Can I got one more question? Can you can you guys? I don't know the answer. Can you guys de- uh, define what Le'Veon Bell? What he was asking for more than the fourteen five for this year. I'm trying to figure out if he would have, if he lost maybe three million from this year, but he's on a Super Bowl contender. Wouldn't it have been maybe it's worth it to take a little less money as opposed to playing for the Jets or Oakland? Well, Chris uh, Carter. Think- Chris Carter was talking about that the other day, Rick. Uh, I don't know if it was on Fox National Radio. One who's he work for now? Chris Carter, whatever national radio show he's on. And he was saying that when you are part of uh, FS1, did you, you have to thanks, Greg. Um, if you're part of a Super Bowl winner, what that is worth, and he was talking about guys like Jerome Bettis or Franco Harris, former Steeler running backs that played on a Super Bowl team, what that is worth after you retire in endorsements, in opportunities and things like that. Um, you know, as great as Antonio Brown has been, if he never wins a Super Bowl, he I still don't think, I don't care if he has every Steelers receiving record ever, uh, it, history-wise, if you've watched uh, the 70s team, would you have more respect for him or a John Stallworth or a Lynn Swan? I think you would lean toward the former because they they won Super Bowl. So I, I, I think that, and, and I think Stan has hit it on the head better than anybody looking at the various things that have happened since. I don't believe in August, he really was going to sit out the whole year. I think circumstances with Gurley's contract, the the Achilles injury last week to um, uh, Des Bryant, Des Bryant, things. I think a lot of and the discovery by his own agent, who didn't really fully understand what was possible next year if he didn't play at all. I think I think I think that it was a fluid situation. The dynamics kept changing, and I think the big disappointment in that locker room about him not communicating and, and maybe misleading them, I don't think he really knew. I think it changed from week to week. 
Well, I think when he came to Pittsburgh, why would he come to Pittsburgh? Not to clean out his stuff. He could have done that at any time. And <clears throat> stuff he had, I don't know what he has, has in There's his no place. no stuff left to clean out now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, at his locker, but I mean in his house. Oh, oh. You know, he could have done that at any point. I, I doubt seriously he really needed it. Thank you, Rick, for the call. All right, Appreciate thanks. It. Thank you very much for the call. Um, I, I do think that uh, I – and I the agent's supposed to know, but i got to be honest. 90% of the sporting media didn't know because we were all under the impression, right, that he had to come and show up for six weeks or he wouldn't accrue for a full season. When our Rudy was on with uh, XM Satellite Radio last week, he expressed even a little bit of confusion in how the whole thing is set up. So, so uh, that that's understandable. But I think once somebody really read the fine print and saw – no, you can still become a free agent. They still have options with him. They can franchise him again. They can transition if they want to. I don't think they will, but I don't think everybody fully understood, including the team, the player, and the agent, understood the full ramification of what you could do or could not do under the franchise tag. Anthony in Oakland joins Stan and Guy. Hi, Anthony. Hi, thank you. Uh, to me, what's made the difference this year without Le'Veon Bell, has been their red zone offense. I mean, they, they have high, one of the highest rates in the NFL this year, and that's made the difference as far as uh, uh, how they're competing, I feel. I, well, I, I agree, Anthony. And, I, think and I don't think it's the running backs. I think it's the guy calling the play. I think it's both. I think it's both. When you see, saw the Browns before he was fired, throwing on first down at the one-yard line, uh, then, then you understood a little bit about their problems. And when Kevin Colbert was on with us before the season started, Anthony, he said that when we were talking about the two backs, expecting to see both of them, he said, what was his exact quote? It was um, that, that Le'Veon had to learn to run on third down, and Connor had, we had to see Connor prove himself on first and yeah, second down, yeah, yeah. meaning that they, you know, they weren't getting out of and, – and I think if you look at his style of running, that hesitation thing – that's not good for the red zone the way it is in the middle of the field. The, the wait and read because there's just not as much space there to, for that to, to help him out. But this supersedes Haley. I mean, when you look back, uh, they just haven't been very well in the red zone. Even that Super Bowl year in 08, they just weren't very good. But this year, uh, no matter what the competition, and that, that may bode well when they play the New Englands in the San Diegos, you've got to be able to score. And and when they had or when in the Kansas City game, remember that they had those three and outs, and that's when they went down twenty one. And after that, it seems like that they have been on a mission, and it's it's bowed them well. I don't think they'll have any problem with Jacksonville. I can't see Blake Bortles beating them three times like that. I just can't. If, if that happens, somebody needs to get fired. Well, I'll tell you something. I, I really believe this, and I, I believe with all my heart. Like all of us, the Steelers had a bye week. They watched Jacksonville look absolutely putrid against Buffalo. And I think subconsciously they're human beings too. The guy was talking earlier about getting up for You shouldn't have to get up for a playoff game. I think like all of us, they watched Jacksonville stumble and bumble and grumble around against a, a weak Buffalo team. And they subconsciously the Steelers said, look, look, look at them. They stink. They're terrible. Guess what? Well, I fully expected to come in here, and I mean, we didn't talk before I came in today and, and just exp express my reservations and have you tell me I'm full of crap. I was surprised when you said I got the EBG. That was the first we discussed it, and I feel the exact same way. But I'm always like that. 
You know, I feel sometimes I feel more confident when you're going up against if if they played Kansas City this week or New England, I'd feel better about it. And and the Penguins, despite the Penguin situation now playing Tampa tonight, that's the kind of game they performed well yeah. in, not losing two to Montreal or two to New Jersey. Anthony, well, well, hopefully we'll get better play on the defensive line too, because uh, they pushed the Steelers' defensive line in both games all over the place. You can't have that. Oh, well, certainly did. That was the biggest disappointment for me is in both games, but especially the playoff game. Well, they never that, by then, they did not adjust to the loss of Shazier by the end of last season. No, nearly no question. As, nearly as well as they have now. They're much better defensively, but I also, and I know too it was playing with one arm. Uh, and apparently Hargrave was hurt a little bit too, um, but but they got bullied. They got pushed around. Now the off the Steeler defensive line is playing better. The defense is playing better, and the Jacksonville offensive line has its issues. But it all begins and ends there. It's a physical game. Um, it's a collision sport, not just a contact sport. Anthony, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. We are going to get to the Penguins here. Um, Anthony used to call us on Sportspeed all the time. Absolutely. Anthony's yeah. been calling for a long time. He's a very, very, very loyal listener and always glad to talk to him. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Uh, you know, that's number one focus in my mind preparing for Jacksonville. They're a great defense. Um, this is probably the biggest test um, and challenge for us as an offense. So it's a big one. Ben talking about Jacksonville. Ben was named for the second consecutive week the AFC Offensive Player of the Week. His performance against Carolina, perfect quarterback rating, 158.3, fourth time he's done that. 22 at 25, 328 yards, five touchdown passes. Yeah, I'd say Offensive Player of the Week. This is interesting about the Steelers in Jacksonville. And you would think that this all portends well for the Steelers. I have a little bit of an issue. The Steelers are, since week 10, or since week 5, excuse me, to where we're at now, the Steelers are 5-0. and Jacksonville is 0-5. During that five-game stretch, the Steelers in point differential, plus 84. So they're winning games by a 16-point margin. When you score 52, that doesn't hurt. The Jaguars are a minus 71. So they're losing their games by an average of two touchdowns per game. In total yards, the Steelers are a plus 792, meaning They've gained 792 more yards in those five games than their opponents or that they've allowed. Jacksonville is a minus 120 in their five games. The Steelers have a plus 15 in sacks versus sacks allowed. We know they've only allowed three in the last five games. So they're a plus 15. Jacksonville is a minus 7. So even with Bortles' mobility, they're not protecting him all that well. Now that would seem to be a great thing. Things, plural. Steelers are playing as well in the last five games um, as they have really certainly this season, but obviously in a number of seasons past. 
And Jacksonville expected to be so much more. They're three and six. And they're probably out of it. Certainly if they lose Sunday, they're dead. Something about this I don't like. Something rotten in Denmark or in northern Florida. One other number. You wonder why the Steelers are doing so well recently? This was a big topic of discussion that we all had early in the season. In the first three games, the Steelers committed 37 penalties, 12 per game. It's awful. In the last six games, they've committed 38, including only one against Carolina. These are not coincidental, and they aren't accidental. 37 in the first three games, 38 in the last six. Maybe you'd like to cut down on the 38 a bit, but that's a heck of a lot better than what you had when you're averaging 12 a game. You've cut them in half. Still, that hidden vigorous bothers me. And I know the Steelers are 14-1-1 on the road in their last 16 games. They're 10-0-1 in their last 11. They've been very good on the road, where traditionally they haven't been. They have been 14-1-1 the last 16. I'm not saying they're going to lose this game. That goes back to why I asked Jerry Dulac the question I was asking him. Do they seem like a more mature team? Able to handle teams like Jacksonville. I know they're supposed to be good, but they're not right now. To not have those ebbs and flows. Look, they're going to lose a game or two more. I mean, you can bet on that. They're not going to go undefeated. But if you're going to lose one, you know, lose to New Orleans. If you have to. Or even one to the Chargers or one to the Patriots. Not all three, but two out of the three. You still end up at 12-3-1 or 12-4-1. and Or 11-4-1. I'll get my math straight. But anyway... Are they mature enough to beat a team that's reeling like Jacksonville? To me, that's what it's going to come down to. One other item on the NFL. You may have seen that the big games, a huge game, Kansas City against the Rams, was supposed to be played in Mexico City on Monday night. That game has now been moved to Los Angeles. It was officially a Rams home game, but they're going to play in Mexico City as part of the NFL's ongoing mission to sell T-shirts. But the game had to be moved back to L.A. Why? Because the field conditions at that stadium were unacceptable. Remember the Steelers had a game up in Toronto, an exhibition game, and, and guys were fearful of ripping up their knees. It was artificial surface. This is, a, this is a great reason not to play games in places like that. I mean, it's a soccer stadium. I don't know why the turf is so bad. And that's not to say that you don't get bad turf at normal NFL stadiums that aren't field turf. Remember the early days of Heinz Fields, like playing a game in a sandbox. But this is a good reason not to have these games in Mexico City. I know they haven't had field issues in London. I'm opposed to that. I'm over it. I'm done with it. This ought to be a clue. All of a sudden... The Rams have a big following. Why? Because it's Los Angeles. 
How you doing, dude? And they got a winner. And they fill up the Coliseum for the most part. So they took that game, a huge game, two of the best teams, one-loss teams in each conference, and they're going to play in Mexico City? Now, this happened completely by accident. This isn't anything the NFL did, but they went down there looking at the turf and said, we can't play on this. What's the matter with you people? Half the players said, we can't even smoke it. <laughs> I'm glad they're not playing there, but I hope it sends a message. I know it probably won't. 